0: Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number 62, where we go back Back to the past past. and read a comic book from the guest Year of Publishing. You can hear us every Sunday morning at chrisandreggie.podbean.com or pick us up on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and by calling on the Dark Lord. It's Halloween. That's right. A very special spooky (laughs) Halloween episode for everyone out there. What book are we reading today, Chris?
1: We're going to be discussing *Chilling: The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina* number one. This uh, has an October 2014 cover date, written by Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa, with art and cover by Robert Hack, lettering by Jack Morelli, and a cover price of $4.99.
0: Yes, and this is obviously through the Archie, now the Archie Horror line. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we'll be talking all about the the Archie comics uh, later on in the show, but first. The writer, Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa, was born in 1973 in Washington, D.C., and he's the son of one-time World Bank senior official, later ambassador of Nicaragua to the United States, then foreign minister of Nicaragua, Francisco Xavier Aguirre-Sacasa. So, How about that? Well, okay. And uh, as <laughs> such, he was raised in both the United States and Nicaragua. He attended Georgetown Preparatory School in North Bethesda, Maryland, uh, followed by Georgetown University, where he studied playwriting. Later, he received a master's degree in English Literature from McGill University, and graduated from the Yale School of Drama in 2003. Early plays during his first years at Yale included Say You Love Satan, a romantic comedy spoof of the Omen movies, and The Muckle Man, a serious family drama with supernatural overtones. Aguirre-Sakasa grew up liking comic books, recalling in 2003... My mom would take us out to the 7-Eleven on River Road during the summer, and we would get Slurpees and buy comics off the spinning rack. I would read them over, all over and over again and draw my own pictures and stuff.
1: On October, um, I'm sorry, on April 4th, 2003, Dad's Garage Theater Company in Atlanta was scheduled to debut aguirre Sakasa's new play, Archie's Weird Fantasy, and this would uh, depict Riverdale's most famous resident coming coming out of the closet and moving to New York. Uh, The day before the play was scheduled to open, Archie Comics issued a cease and desist order. Uh, Dad's Garage artistic director, Sean Daniels, said "The, the play was to depict Archie and his pals from Riverdale growing up, coming out, and facing censorship. Archie Comics thought if Archie was portrayed as being gay, that would dilute and tarnish his image. Uh, It it opened a few days later as the weird comic book fantasy, with the character names changed.
0: Did they they steal our title? Come on now. (laughs) I know.
1: (laughs) Now, uh, he began writing for Marvel Comics. Uh, He explained when uh, Marvel hired an editor to find new writers... And they hired her from a theatrical agency. So she started calling theaters and asking if they knew any playwrights who might be good for comic books. A couple of different theaters said she should look at me. So she called me. I sent her a couple of my plays, and she said, Great, would you like to pitch on a couple of comic books in the works? Uh, now, this would be Marvel Knights 4. That series ran 27 issues between April 2004 and April 2006. Uh, it continued as just four after the Marvel Nights uh, t- uh, moniker, the branding kind of diluted there, uh, for the final three issues, 28 through 30. Uh, that's May 2006 through July 2006. Now, he would go on to write stories uh, for Nightcrawler Volume 3, uh, The Sensational Spider-Man Volume 2, and Dead of Night Featuring Man-Thing. All right.
0: In 2006, his semi-autobiographical based on a totally true story, which is about a comic book writer, playwright struggling with newfound success and boyfriend problems, was staged at the prestigious Manhattan Theater Club in New York. When asked by the advocate which came first, being a comic book geek or being gay, he answered, I would say I was probably a comic book geek before I knew anything about being gay or straight. I certainly loved superheroes before I knew I was gay. In May 2008, Aguirre Sakasa returned to the Fantastic Four with a miniseries tie-in to the company-wide secret invasion storyline concerning a years-long infiltration of Earth by the shape-shifting alien race, The Skrulls. In the same year, he adapted for comics the Stephen King novel, The Stand, for Marvel Comics. This was 31 issues, September 2008 to January 2012 cover dates.
1: And he revised Robert Benton's musical, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, for the Dallas Theatre Center, a production in Dallas, Texas, in June 2010. In 2011, Aguirre-Sacasa was approached by the producers of the troubled Broadway musical, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dock, to help rewrite its <laughs> script. As I, as uh,
0: I think he was one of many people called in to help on that. Uh, they, they tried to get a lot of people and... It didn't help, I'm sorry to say.
1: No, and, and didn't somebody get injured like on every yeah. every time they aired?
0: The first, <laughs> the, like, the, for all previews, <laughs> that they were injuries constantly.
1: That's great. Uh, now, in, uh, in May 2011, Aguirre Sakasa was hired as a co-producer and writer of uh, the television show Glee. Uh, two months later, he was hired to write the comic book Archie Meets Glee that was published in 2013. Uh, he's also written for TV shows Big Love, Looking, Supergirl, and Rivadell. Uh, in 2013 he created Afterlife with Archie which depicted Archie Andrews in the midst of a zombie Apocalypse. Uh this book's Success led to Aguirre Sakasa being named Archie Comics Chief Creative Officer uh, He tied for a Harvey Award for Best New Talent For uh, for his work on Marvel Knights 4
0: So that's good so yeah I mean sure. Quite a rise right there and definitely A comic book Pedigree I will say he didn't just show up You know on the doorstep yeah. one day and start Writing for uh uh, Sabrina, but anyway, uh, now Robert Hack, the artist, uh, we had a lot of trouble with this one. You know, <laughs> often we talk about the artist doesn't get as much information as the writer for you know obvious reasons when you think about it. But this time, I do believe that uh, Robert Hack has scrubbed the internet as clean as he can from any information about him. But uh, I, uh, everything that we could pick up is contained right here. He is from Huntingdon, Pennsylvania. He credits his brother with getting him into comics. He said in a very recent interview. That's all my brother's fault. Brian's a few years older than me and was big into comics when I was little. He taught me about Kirby and Ditko and C.C. Beck and other great artists before I could even read the comics myself. And, that was, and then it was comics history books that collections from my local library. I must have checked out Jules Pfeiffer's The Great Comic Heroes and Crawford's Encyclopedia of Comics a hundred times. Uh, he attended Huntingdon's Area Senior High School, where while there... He produced a golden age-style comic book titled Twilight Comics, number one, even had a cover date of June 1942, and a superhero punching a Nazi on the cover, so very authentic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert provides covers for several comic book series, including the main Archie title, Doctor Who, and the Shadow Batman from Dynamite DC, and many, many others. I mean, he, he, you can find, we'll put his website in the show notes, and you can look at sure. quite, a, quite a big uh, portfolio. And he mainly seems to specialize in I'd call it pulp art, that mid-century, not so much sexy art, but just that kind of uh, gritty painterly style. I don't know. You'll have to take a look Definitely. let me know what you think. Yeah.
1: Now let's meet the uh, the star of our uh, of our feature here, uh, Sabrina Spellman. Uh, Sabrina first appeared in Marchi, in in, Marchi, no, in Archie's <laughs> Madhouse number 22 in October 1962. And she was created by writer George Gladder and uh, designed by artist Dan De Carlo. Uh, Gladder re- uh, recalled in 2007, he says, uh, "I think we both envisioned it as a one-shot and were surprised when fans asked for more." We continued to do Sabrina stories off and on in Madhouse until 1969 when we were flabbergasted to hear it was co- it was to become an animated TV series. When it, when it came to naming Sabrina, I decided to name her after a woman I recalled from my junior high school days who was very active in school affairs and who assigned a number of us to interview prominent people in the media. Uh, in addition, the woman's name had a New England ring to it. Uh, some years later, I recalled the woman's name was not Sabrina but actually Sabra Holbrook.
0: Yeah, saving himself a big libel suit. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, now, originally, uh, Sabrina's original you know, secret origin was that she was created by her two aunts, Hilda and Zelda Spellman, after a magic potion turned out wrong. It developed that Sabrina's actually a half-witch. Her mom is a human, dad is a witch, and lives with Hilda and Zelda, both witches themselves, in a fictional town of Greendale. This is just near Riverdale, which is the home of Archie Andrews, so it's very convenient for them to have crossover adventures. Also living with three women Is the family pet is Salem Saberhagen A witch who's been turned into a cat As punishment for trying to take over the world And he talks And Chris, he's got jokes for you too
1: He sure does <laughs> uh, Sabrina's primary romantic love interest Is her mortal boyfriend named Harvey Kinkle Who, like nearly all other mortals in Sabrina's world, is unaware that his girlfriend is actually a witch. Uh, Most of Sabrina's stories involve her using an unlimited set of magic powers in secret because mortals aren't supposed to know that she can warp space and time to her whim. Uh, Sabrina was a subject of her own cartoon series in 1971 and a uh, quite popular television show that ran from 1996 to 2003. But uh, you know, this podcast is about comics. So, well, yeah, we're going to Let's talk, look at a comic book. <laughs> get
0: right into Chilling Adventures of Sabrina number 1 from 2014. story is titled The Crucible. The regular issue of this had two covers in one. It was a die-cut cover. One was a house with a window that was die-cut out of it. You could see Sabrina through it. When you open it, she's embedded in some kind of horrible skull with a lot of viscera and all the other characters and demons squirming around in there. Uh, kind of a nice effect. Maybe uh, a little overboard for a comic, but that's fine. I, you know, I don't don't work in the production department, so...
1: No, no. Uh, we can't be mad at it. Uh, now, our prologue begins in Westbridge, Massachusetts. It's Halloween, 1951. The caption tells
0: us A year after the birth, the home and sanctum of
2: Edward Theodore Spellman, high priest of the Church of Night, scholar,
1: occultist, father. Now, a bearded man in a suit, who is Ed Spellman, contemplates some creepy antiques in a weathered mansion. A grandfather clock tick-tocks throughout the scene.
2: Who has conquered, conjured his Lord Satan in the living flesh numerous times, but tonight faces a much grimmer task?
1: Spellman picks up a framed picture of what looks to be a happy family. He says, If I could take this cup from your lips, Diana.
0: Then the clock strikes twelve with a clink, which is sort of a weird sound for it to make, but okay. Mm -hmm. about a dozen women appear in the room, mist swirling around them, but Edward was prepared for this.
1: Welcome, sisters, and remember, we stand in his shadow. One of the women that
0: we come to know is Hilda
1: says, Happy Halloween, Edward. And Zelda says, yes, Edward, hello, Sam Samhain, is our little one ready to go?
0: Edward says that she's in the nursery with her mother, saying her goodbyes, and he goes up to the nursery to get them, but the room is empty, and the window is open, and the curtains are fluttering in, which is our visual indicator that they've escaped.
1: Indeed. Diana Spellman is running through the woods, bundled baby in her arms. This baby would be Sabrina if that wasn't entirely clear yet.
2: Diana
0: says, shh.
2: It's all right, baby. Mommy's not going to let anyone take you from her. We'll go somewhere far, far away. Consecrated ground. A church where they can't.
1: The woods, Diana. You believe the woods will hide you? Eh, Edward! We are the woods, Diana. But then, you've never understood that about us, have you?
0: Now, Edward, Hilda, and Zelda have appeared before Diana in the deep and dark woods. Looks like some other witchy types are kind of skulking in the shadows beyond as well. Diana says,
2: Please stay away from me! You you can't have her!
1: You promised me! We made a pact.
0: Diana begs for a little more time with the baby, a year, maybe two, but Edward says they cannot wait longer or the child will start to remember.
1: And that simply won't do. You'll have another, my pet. A boy, perhaps. A sweet boy. One you can keep. Suddenly, the baby has appeared in Edward's arms. The bundle in Diana's arms is a stuffed, crudely stitched doll. Yeah, she says,
2: No! No, damn you, Edward! She's our daughter!
1: Edward hands the baby over to Hilda. And Hilda
2: says, Which, let's be honest, you never would have conceived without our help. Come to Auntie Hilda. That's a good girl.
1: Yes, we fixed you up, didn't we? Made it so you could have children, so you could bear fruit. Well, we should get something in return, that's only fair.
0: Diana threatens to expose this coven to the public and tell everyone what they are. Edward places her hand on her face, his hand on her face, burning it and knocking out Diana.
1: And to be clear, Diana, I'm already damned. We both are.
0: Now we cut over to the Hearthstone clinic for the mentally unwell. Diana is there in a filthy padded cell. Looks like there's a surgery scar on her forehead.
1: And in terms of my wife ever recovering?
0: A doctor Sappersteed replies, nothing's come closer. About every day that passes, it seems more and more unlikely. I'm so
1: sorry, sir. Not at all. I I appreciate your honesty, Doctor.
0: Dr. Saperstein and Edward walk outside together, and Edward explains that Diana has no other family. All of them are dead. Mm. It's only he and his daughter, Sabrina, being raised with the help of his sisters, Hilda and Zelda, two ladies that creep Dr. Saperstein enough from afar that he retreats from an invitation to even meeting them.
1: Yes. (laughs) Now uh, we move on to Halloween, 1957, and it's Sabrina's sixth birthday. We would... Yes. Um, (laughs) Sabrina's throwing a tantrum because her father hasn't shown up for her birthday party.
0: And when a young witch throws a tantrum, everything goes flying around the room, even Zelda and Hilda.
1: Yes. Zelda says, put us down this instant, young lady. Birthday or no birthday, what is the rule about telepathic tantrums?
2: Your Aunt Zelda and I, we understand why you might be upset.
1: But you're much too clever to be misbehaving this way. You're a spellman, child, so start acting like one. Now I'll ask you one once more. What is the rule about telepathy?
0: And Sabrina casts her eyes down sheepishly.
1: Her eyes have uh, they've been, they've been crying blood, incidentally. <laughs> That's very nice for a six-year-old.
0: Sure. Uh, Sabrina says,
2: not in the house. Correct,
1: not in the house. That's why, that's why the Fallen made backyards. Oh, my dears. Sabrina lets her aunts down and uh, things settle around uh, the house there.
2: I'm sorry, aunties, but it's my birthday. It's my birthday and he forgot. Zelda goes, Oh. Zelda goes, Hmm. Just because your father hasn't written a card... And we haven't been able to raise him on the witch board. Doesn't mean he's forgotten you. It just means...
1: It means he can't. It's simple as that.
0: And the scene cuts to a gnarled dead tree that we close in on over
1: three panels. Hilda provides the voiceover in captions. But
2: if your Aunt Zelda will let me finish a thought, I'd wager that what's left of my soul, wherever he is, whatever he's doing... He's thinking about you right this very minute.
1: And the last panel shows Edward Spellman's twisted face visible in the bark of a tree. Uh, now, Hilda reminds Sabrina that he sacrificed the one he loved most for her. Uh, he promises that, and she promises that her father will return to her and the coven eventually. In the meantime, she should, you know, open her birthday present.
2: What is it? Is it a puppy? Oh, Zelda, should we have gotten her a puppy?
1: Every witch needs a familiar, a protector, and dogs aren't nearly smart enough.
0: Sabrina opens the box to reveal a black and white cat, and this would be Salem Saberhagen.
2: A cat? I don't want some stinky old cat! I want my daddy!
1: Yes, and I want my human form back. But this is what happens when you attempt to enact the Book of Revelation. Cue the laugh track right there, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: Salem's name, by the way, is likely in reference to Salem, Massachusetts, site of the 17th century Salem witch trials, and generally spooky-looking colonial town.
1: Never heard of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you will hear of them. Yes,
1: we will. Now we zip on over to the first day of Sabrina's sixth-grade year, uh, September 4th, 1962, and Hilda and Zelda are gardening. Uh, they're growing all sorts of uh, you know witchy plants and herbs. We you, would assume there, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, Now, it's the end of the school day, and Sabrina walks up to her aunt's, and she's wearing a school uniform, which is something like a Catholic school uniform. Yeah, she says,
2: Uh, Aunties, am I a half-breed? What? Of course
1: not! Why would you even ask such a thing? Probably, Probably because one of her classmates said it to her, which is one of those little hags, was it, Sabrina? Give us a name, Brina, and I'll scratch out her eyes.
0: So Sabrina unburdens herself tearfully, she says, uh,
2: Adeline Hubbard, she said Daddy married a human, and that's how come he went away, because the council banished him, and I'm just a half-breed orphan no one will ever love.
0: And Hilda replies,
2: Well, that's horrible, false thing to say. You're not an orphan, and we love you, and Salem loves you, and your
1: father... It's that school. I've said it since day one. Witchcraft should be taught in the home, not some trumped-up academy of the unseen. For everything else, public school more than suffices. She, She also said, Daddy
2: killed Mommy when I was born. Really? Is that what she said?
1: In the time it takes for a spell to be uttered, Hilda appears before a little girl playing with an antique dollhouse outside. Uh, This would be Adeline Hubbard. Uh, Hilda makes sure, though. Your name wouldn't happen to be Adeline Hubbard, would
2: it? It sure is. Oh, perfection.
1: And Hilda transforms into a giant spider and menaces Adeline.
2: Manners,
0: always. Hilda teleports back home and says Adeline Hubbard won't be bothering Sabrina anymore.
2: The poor dear has a fear of spiders. All of the Hubbards do. T <laughs> I, I didn't know.
0: I don't know that fear of spiders is a genetic thing. Right, Chris? I'm not sure.
1: It's, it's in the DNA. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. <laughs> uh,
0: while Hilda was gone, Zelda and Sabrina talked about the possibility of leaving Westbridge.
1: Then, Miss Zelda says, there might be too many memories to stay here in Westbridge many shadows the coven there are other covens Hilda
0: then Zelda and Hilda have a semi-telepathic conversation and this is rendered as their floating heads above the real life scene of Sabrina with her aunt in the living room some of their dialogue expressed in thought balloons some in speech we're not going to go back and forth but that's how that's what it looks like
1: Yes, Zelda says And don't you think in the long run It would be easier for Sabrina to grow up somewhere else Where people have no idea who she is Or what she can do Yes, but A place where she'll be the strongest of her kind Where where we'll be able to protect her You've always said you wanted her to have a choice I did, but Well, here in Westbridge She never will But somewhere else, a place where she could carve out her own destiny As opposed to having it thrust upon her
2: I'd like to try someplace new.
1: Hilda and Zelda are telepathically shocked.
2: Sabrina? Sorry, but I can read your thoughts. Is that bad?
1: Zelda notes it just means she's getting stronger.
2: All right, Sister Zelda. Since all our disagreements seem to end the same way, where in Beelzebub's name should we move to?
1: Now that you've asked, there's a small coven in Greendale just starting up. I checked the listings, and someone's selling a funeral home across the street from the sweetest little cemetery. Imagine, sister, an endless supply of food. Not to mention a pretty quick commute. That's pretty nice. Uh, (laughs) Hilda,
0: Zelda, and Sabrina, and Salem stand before a giant Gothic-style home. Looks almost like a half-church.
1: Hilda, thoughts?
2: I'm not sure. Something about this place. (sighs) You and your
1: feelings... What about you, Sabrina? What do you think?
2: I love it, Auntie!
1: And so we jump ahead to June 23rd, 1964. Sabrina has come home from school, not wearing a uniform, but, uh, you know, period-correct street clothes. Uh, so we're, I think we're to assume that she's going to public school yeah, now.
0: Yeah, that's the idea, I think. Uh,
1: now she opens the front door to find her aunts Aunt Salem, uh, entertaining a young fellow in a leather jacket and red pants. This would be her cousin, Ambrose, who's also a witch.
0: Yeah, he says, It must be the half er uh, my cousin Sabrina. And Sabrina replies, You sound like
2: Ringo. <laughs> cousin Ambrose is from the old country, Sabrina. He's staying with us for the next little while.
1: Show him to his room in the attic.
2: Don't fret about me bags, Cous. Just lead the way.
1: Ambrose makes his luggage levitate and emit a ghostly glow while Sabrina leads him upstairs.
0: So you're a boy witch, a warlock,
1: yes. Now Ambrose's name must be an homage to Civil War soldier and author Ambrose Bierce. Uh, he wrote The Devil's Dictionary, a very misunderstood work of its time. Uh, they reach the attic, which looks to be in really bad repair.
0: <sighs> so very and frank, you Nick. Still, I suppose it's better than the stocks.
1: Not to pry, though I will. Why are you here?
0: Ambrose explains there was a little incident at his school. One of the prefects short-seated his bed, so Ambrose removed his hands. Hmm. I gave him back, eventually. But a damage had been done. I'd been revealed. I, Priest Crowley wanted to spirit me away to the nether realm, but your aunts kindly intervened. They've agreed to homeschool and rehabilitate me.
1: Now, High, Peace, High Priest Crowley is certainly some kind of reference to Alistair Crowley, the uh, English occultist who created the Order of the Golden Dawn, which was essentially a coven.
0: Yeah, he also authored the book of books Magic and Theory and Practice and The Book of Lies, two other misunderstood works of their time. And before it sounds like we're stumping for witches and... These, are, <laughs> these are, were both highly satirical works of their time that... Read later on. It's a, it's a lot like Shakespeare, where where a lot of the context is missing. Hmm. There was a lot of like political and social context to those, and that's what these books are also like. That also, but anyway, yeah. that's uh, where we are not condoning witchcraft, folks. Don't, no. don't don't send us mail to that effect. Yes, no invites to coffins either. So uh, please, no. <laughs> uh, Salem, I was sniffing around one of Ambrose's suitcases.
1: Salem says, "What's in this suitcase? This one in particular." Hmm,
0: aren't you a clever kitty? Bit of mongoose in ye. My familiars, come out, darlings, and say hello
1: to our hosts. And two cobras extend from the suddenly opened suitcases, hoods out. And they speak, too. I am Nag. And I am Nagaina.
2: Look.
1: And be afraid. And yet, somehow, I'm not.
0: Ambrose says the cobras were a gift from his uncle Rudyard, who rescued them from a cult in Bombay, which is certainly a reference to Rudyard (laughs) Kipling, late 19th century author of The Jungle Book, who was raised in Bombay, India, and wrote a lot about talking snakes.
1: Sure did. Now, the snakes tell Salem that their father is the god Glycon. Uh, it's an ancient Greek snake god. Uh, Salem threatens to skin the snakes if they go near his litter box. Why would they go near his litter box? Well,
0: I have no idea that <laughs> he well, we won't be there for them. But <laughs> that's cats are very territorial like that. They you are. know how it is. Uh, so, says to that, Salem, be nice. There are guests. Oh, now, don't you dare chastise him. A.K.K. come to Ambrose. You'll find me pet that I quite appreciate drama in our lives. In which case, you have my sympathies. Nothing dramatic ever happens in Greendale.
1: Next we know it, it's September 9th, 1964. Sabrina and Ambrose are in her bedroom spinning 45s. Uh, And for the kids out there, those are a type of vinyl record. That's right. Uh, (laughs) uh, Now there's a Beatles poster on the wall and other obvious signs of Sabrina's impending teenagehood. Uh, Sabrina is also checking herself out in the mirror. Another obvious
0: sign. uh, Mm Ambrose says, You know what you need, considering that you've been staring at yourself for nearly an hour? I'm sure you'll tell me. Oh, glamour. It requires a phrase or two. A little dance to work, so fancy a dash of Dion, or a bit of Barbara, but glamour of a vanity spell, fairy magic. Oh, palace, it's your first day of high school, Sabrina. Don't you want to look your best? Yes, some Roy Orbison, I think.
1: And Ambrose puts on Pretty Woman, and... Sings along. Uh, then he explains that glamours are actually spells of protection devised by witches, not, not fairy magic at all, actually. Uh, Sabrina says she still like, likes her natural look, uh, even after Ambrose gives her the body of Marilyn Monroe, then Jackie Kennedy. Uh, Sabrina says that's disrespectful, and they even reference JFK's assassination.
0: Yeah, she says, poor Mrs. Kennedy, I still have nightmares. To which Ambrose suggests they
1: change the look to Audrey Hepburn or perhaps Grace Kelly. Uh, fair enough. You know, hmm.
0: <laughs> take, your, take your mind off that nasty business. <laughs> sure. Uh, then Salem walks in the room and tells Sabrina to hurry for the school bus, and Salem, Ambrose, and one of the snakes watch Sabrina's bus pull away.
1: And Salem says, Glamours are for crones anyway. Ambrose replies, mm,
0: You fake so? For familiar, you haven't a clue what's best for your mistress.
1: Poor, poor little witch
0: girls. I promise you, it wasn't for vanity, Salem. It was for protection. You've never been to high school, but I have. It's as dangerous and frightful a place as exists. Hell on earth for mortals and witches alike, where there are dragons behind every smile.
1: Now, while Ambrose speaks about high school, we see Sabrina entering Baxter Senior High School and stowing her books away in the locker.
0: A red-haired girl approaches and introduces
1: herself. Hi, I'm Rosalind, but you can call me Roz So, is it true that you live in a creepy funeral home next to the cemetery? And that your parents are dead?
0: Uh, yes, and yes, sort of
1: Now Roz continues to chatter on, and uh, the scene is narrated by Sabrina Telling this story to Ambrose and the familiars later on that day uh, Sabrina is wide-eyed as the two girls are approached by three boys walking down the hall
0: she kept talking at me, which was annoying but fine since I wasn't really listening to her anymore because, you guys, that's when I saw him walking with a group of his friends. He was like out of a movie, or what a Greek god must be like, Harvey Kinko. What? Well, you're joking. Harvey Kinko, I hope he's better looking than that name suggests. I love his name, and he is, he's like Paul Newman but cuter. As he passes by, he said...
1: Hey, what's up ladies? Cool hair, I dig it
0: And he's referring to Sabrina's hair Which by this time has gone all white And that's kind of her trademark look White with a band around it Uh, Unfortunately though, Harvey is not unattached
1: Yes, Roz goes Hands off weirdo Harvey kinkles mine
0: Ambrose asks Sabrina If he wants him to banish Roz to the cornfield And she says she doesn't want to do anything like that She doesn't want to manipulate Harvey Just wants him to like her Maybe a little. Hmm. Salem reminds Sabrina that Aunt Hilda and Zelda would not approve. She's 13, too young for boys, and also it's prohibited for witches to consort with mortals. Even though she's a product of that, but whatever. Uh, Sabrina actually brings up this very point, though.
1: My point, exactly. Because where are they now? It's been years, and we still don't know.
0: Yes, but isn't it possible that wherever they are, they're together and happy, sustained by their star-crossed love and witch law be damned? Unless you know something I don't.
1: I suppose anything's possible. So it's decided. They're going to tamper with the natural laws and probably warp the minds of some teenagers in the process.
0: Well, nothing that heavy metal music didn't do. Sure. Uh, Dungeons um, and Dragons. <laughs> same stuff, yeah. Ambrose <laughs> says, What this situation calls for, Sabrina, is a honey jar spell. A witch in Mexico named La Saracho showed me out. Do you have a picture of this teen Adonis? During study hall, I went to the library and found a yearbook from last year. And will this do?
1: She produces a torn page with a picture of Harvey playing football on it.
0: Oh yes. Step one: find and sterilize a mason jar. Step two: fill it with honey from buzzing bees. Step three: write your petition, Harvey's name, on the back of the picture in a circle counterclockwise. Step four: spit on the paper. The spitting's important. Fold it towards you. Put it in in with the honey, and a spoonful of brown sugar, and a stick of cinnamon, seal the jaw, and shake it as though your life depended on it. And while Ambrose details these steps, Sabrina is performing each task precisely, while Salem looks on and admonishes her.
1: Remember the monkey's paw story? You break a rule, even a small one, and there'll be consequences.
0: Says the cat who tried to summon the four horsemen. Got him there. (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, She lights a candle to fix the lid of the jar, and then we play the waiting game. Doesn't take long. Seems like the next day Harvey finds Sabrina at school and struggles to ask Sabrina out on a date.
1: So Sabrina helps him out with that.
0: Yeah, she says, were you going to ask me to the movies this weekend? Goldfinger, maybe?
1: Yeah, definitely. Want to go? Should I come by and pick you up? No, Uh,
0: let's meet there. I live with my aunts, and they're the grooviest, but... I'm afraid they eat you alive, Harvey Kinkle.
1: Meantime, something wicked. Looks like uh, Betty and Veronica from Riverdale are in the woods, and they're freaking out. Uh, Veronica is clutching a worn-looking book.
0: Yeah, Betty says,
1: Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god! Veronica says, I told you this would be a bad idea. We should have just got him in half. High Priestess Grundy warned us. And the next panel depicts a naked woman hidden in shadows near a smoldering cauldron in these very same woods. Some captions help clue us in.
0: Yeah, it was an accident. Two young witches in the town of Riverdale were trying to summon a succubus, a demoness of desire, to help them settle a blood rivalry. Instead, they somehow managed to set her free from Gehenna, the capital city of Hell. Unless, of course, it's true what witches say. There are no
1: accidents. Betty and Veronica are sitting on the bottom bunk of a, of a bed in what we're guessing is Betty's bedroom, making a pinky swear.
2: We we can't tell anyone about what we did tonight. Not even Archie. Pinky swear?
1: The pinky swear. Anyway, whatever that thing was, it won't live to see morning. Not in
0: those woods. It turns out they're wrong about that. Uh, the naked woman kills a pregnant doe with her bare hands and devours it.
1: The moon that night is a blood moon, further
0: improving this naked woman's health. That's right. Caption tells us she doesn't remember her name, but Edward, she remembers Edward, she had Edward, sisters Edward. once. She Edward, was meant to marry Edward, someone, someone named Edward, Edward, Edward. She almost grasps it, but then it escapes her. She does remember dimly that he threw her over he? for someone else, A. Can it be, mortal woman,
2: Diana, Diana, Diana?
0: It is Diana, why Diana, she Diana. took her life. Oh God, no! And was consigned to Gehenna. She was betrayed. There would be a blood atonement, even if it took her years to achieve, which it might. That was all right. She had time, and she had her hatred. It sustained her in Gehenna, and it would serve her here on earth. Of course,
1: she would need a new face first the naked woman walks into a swamp and on the very final page we see her face she's got a grinning skull for eyes and you can see her skull through her skin Uh, or maybe the skull is flesh colored Uh, the the point of it is that she she looks scary very scary Uh, yeah (laughs) uh, next
0: chapter sweet 16 that's right I don't want to give too many spoilers but the next chapter is when she's supposed to marry Satan or like promise herself to Satan so he doesn't mess around it gets to thrive right away you know we gotta get in there quick or else the they tend to uh, scurry off. Also, the woman at the end is Madame Satan, who's an old Archie Comics character from the '40s. So that's kind of a, How about uh, that nice little pluck out there. But it all goes on from there. This this pick was actually picked by Chris, but for me. Yes. So that was very that was very <laughs> nice of him. That's something that happens with us sometimes. We we pick comics uh, that we think the other guys gonna dig, and this is one that I do read and one of the few physical comics that I still pull. Uh, quite frankly, that I'm not reading just in trade. I like it a lot. Uh mm you have to, you, you know you got to be a horror comic fan, sure, to, to start sure. with, you know if you if you don't want to see horror in your comics, then it's not for you. And I definitely get a kick out of the over the top ritual stuff. You, didn't get into it too much here. You know, Chris, I'll tell you I, I realized something. I like stories of what, with magic as a literary device. Uh, sure. Sure. I, I don't believe in magic personally. I'm not one. I'm not, like, <laughs> I'm not like you know doing Ouija boards or thinking about the paranormal. But I like it. I like the idea of hubris because of using magic, you know, and uh, the fact that magic tricks. You know, it, it's the thing is in the regular Sabrina comics, she like wiggles her ears or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, they have to like you know gut a doe and spread entrails around and write a. You know, makes it feel more I don't know uh, ominous and uh, weighty, but. I dig yeah. this comic a lot. I, I enjoy it and I'm I'm glad we were able to read it for our special Halloween episode for uh per Chris's directive. Did you dig it at
1: all? <laughs> I did. You know, I when uh, when I suggested it, I I've read some of the recent Archie stuff and it's uh I don't wanna say it's bad, it's just not for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can appreciate Archie as a kitschy type thing where it's you know uh, more innocent, uh, more silly. Uh, I, the the new take, the you know the revamped Archie, definitely not my scene. Yeah. And I was kind of afraid that this might kind of be like that, and uh, was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't. Uh, it is uh, very you know it's very horror comic. It's not uh, it, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's not like the the new Archie, basically. It, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, and it's, it's not it, like the old Archie either.
0: So it, it starts out with a woman having her child ripped from her, and then she's committed to a mental ward yes. for the rest of her life. So it's pretty. <laughs> it is pretty dark. But I'll tell you what. I think that uh, choosing to put this in the '60s, or you know, obviously <laughs> most, you know, she's going to be 16. It's going to be like 66 or 67. By putting it there, they were able to kind of uh, contextualize it and keep it out of all the modern trappings that. Yeah. Uh, modern comics tend to chase. And, you know, it's, 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 I, 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 my heart goes out to him because that's a tough thing to chase, man. It seems like every yeah, every other the day, there's, demographic, yeah. there's something new. You know what I mean? It's like the minute you, the minute you figure out about Snapchat, it's done. That's, you know, if you've heard about it, it's already over. Put it that way. <laughs> uh, also, that does put it more in line with movies like The Omen. And, uh, when, I, when reading about this, I, they, they mention quite often Rosemary's Baby. Uh, sure. Definitely has that kind of vibe to it. But, so if that all sounds interesting to you folks, I do recommend you go check it out. There is a trade, at least in the world, and the comic still comes out on a semi- Sporadic, yeah. Irregular basis. <laughs> but uh, we're going to take a break. I think we both need to relax our chords for a couple. Yeah.
1: Actually, before we take a break, I, I want to apologize that my voice acting is even worse than normal today. I'm just exhausted. and
0: uh, Yeah, Chris has, it's been uh, a week. has quite a change happening in his life now. nothing All good news, folks. All good news, yes. Uh, but bad. He has been incredibly busy. Actually, this whole month you've been pretty busy. So uh, yeah. but that's all right. I think we got the point across. And I think that uh, I, we could definitely say that the comic is better than our acting. So if you liked our acting, <laughs> it's uh, better than that. So put, put it that way. But uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about a little history of witchcraft, and especially about the witch trials. And we're going to talk about Archie Comics and themselves. (laughs) Welcome back We are, or have just talked about The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, number one And she is a witch So we thought we would do a little history Of witchcraft Persecution, primarily Uh, Now, witchcraft, it's a complex concept Varies culturally and societally Therefore, it's kind of difficult to define With precision, you know You gotta remember there's witchcraft, there's witch doctors There's like, people consider divining rods To be a form of witchery, so Uh, It's a lot of different things Uh, Anglo-Indian Egyptologist, archaeologist, anthropologist, historian, and folklorist Margaret Alice Murray published through Oxford University Press in 1921 A book titled The Witch Cult in Western Europe It posited that the European witch trials of the 15th and 16th centuries Were an attempt to suppress a pre-Christian witch cult Which worshipped a horned god of fertility mistaken for the devil This theory was disproven later in the 20th century Still, well-traveled weirdo Gerald Gerald the Bersow Gardner, displeased with the membership in the Rosicrucian Order, joined a naturalistic witchcraft cult called the New Forest Coven in 1939, and he blended some of that witchcraft with suggestions from Margaret Alice Murray's book and developed the ritualistic religion we know as modern Wicca.
1: But that's not the kind of witchcraft we're interested in talking about today uh, Indeed, there are many types of Wicca And several kinds of naturalistic witchcraft besides But what we want to talk about is the sensationalized stuff As depicted in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Now, the word witchcraft derives from the Old English Wickencraft, craft that's W-I-C-K Care-craft Yeah, that, that's the <laughs> phonetic spelling of it Now, uh, a compound of wiki, which is witch And craft, which is craft <laughs> uh, the, the etymology of witchcraft which beyond that, however, is problematic and may stem from words meaning to bend, rouse, or say. Uh, the concept of witchcraft and performing magic has been present in all societies throughout history, in every region, in both primitive and advanced cultures. Of course, a famous witch appears in Homer's Odyssey, and Circe, who in who changes folks into pigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as it has existed, witchcraft has been condemned in of, in some form or another. Uh, The Code of Hammurabi in 18th century B.C., the Babylonian Code of Law for ancient Mesopotamia, prescribes that if a man has put a spell on another man and is not yet justified, he upon whom the spell is laid shall go to the holy river. Into the holy river shall he plunge. If the holy river overcome him and he is drowned, the man who put the spell upon him shall take possession of his house. If the holy river declares him innocent and he remains unharmed, man who laid the spell shall be put to death he that plunged into the river shall take possession of the house of him who laid the spell upon him
0: Well that sounds fair so you know I think so so you, you kind of, you, you gamble with your life if you just throw a spell on someone unasked but you could end up with a house so that's that's how it works. Uh, In 451 BC The 12 tables of the Roman law Had provisions against evil incantations And spells intended to damage cereal crops In 331 BC 170 women were executed as witches In the context of an epidemic illness Uh, This was a scale of persecution Without precedent in Rome And I know that sounds crazy to say Because there was a lot (laughs) But it was was the 170 at once I mean it was literally just like a, a mass execution That was not really Their style uh, overall But no, they're not, they weren't Hands weren't clean throughout history Anyway, in 186 BC The Roman Senate issued a decree Severely restricting the Bacchanals Ecstatic rites celebrated in honor of Dionysus Dionysus even Uh, Mm -hmm. Consequent to the ban in 184 BC About 2,000 people were executed for witchcraft Which was known as beneficium And in 182 to 180 BC Another 3,000 executions took place Again, Triggered by the outbreak of an epidemic So it seems like illness comes and they try to find The witch that caused it Uh, Much of the western world's definition of witchcraft Stems from the old testament laws Against witchcraft Wherein they're normally referred to as sorceresses Uh, These laws Essentially dictate that Judaism is good All other religions including Witchcraft are bad which is more or less what most religions have to say, uh, if you think about it. Uh, the book of Genesis seems to imply that only God can interpret dreams, for instance. This is a popular witchy pastime uh, back in long ago and even today. In Genesis 48, it says, We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams.
1: Uh, Rabbi Simeon Ben Shetach in 1st century BC Is reported to have sentenced to death 80 women Who had been charged with witchcraft on a single day Later, the women's relatives took revenge By bringing, reportedly, false witnesses against Simeon's son And causing him to be executed in turn uh, In the New Testament, several passages in the book of Revelation Condemn sorcery with the strictest and cruelest terms uh, Revelation 80, colon 23 says The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your, Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led a spra- a tra- a da- astray, even.
0: <laughs> I think uh, I have a spell on me. Here. I think, I think hmm. maybe you got a spell. We're going to throw you in the water and see what happens. Oh, uh, i
1: drown, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Revelation 21.8 says, uh, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, will all, they will all be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. <laughs>
1: The Bible has some other choice words for witchcraft elsewhere. In Chronicles 10, 13, and 14, they says, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse.
0: In Deuteronomy 18, 10, and 12, it says, No one shall be found among you who makes a son or daughter pass through fire, who practices divination, or is a soothsayer, or an augur, or a sorcerer, or one that casts spells, or who consults ghosts or spirits, or who seeks oracles from the dead. For whoever does these things is abhorrent to the Lord.
1: In Isaiah 8.19 has said, When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Makes sense.
2: Uh, Now, because
0: witchcraft was posited as against Christianity, it has therefore been closely associated with with Satan and hell, despite some of its ritualistic origins being pre-Christianity. This culminated in deaths, torture, and scapegoating in many years of large-scale witch trials and witch hunts, especially in Protestant Europe, beginning in the 16th century, before mostly ceasing during the European Age of Enlightenment. That would be the mid-19th century, so... Not really that long ago, if you really look Mm. at the uh, length of human history. Uh, The work of Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century was instrumental in developing the new theology which would give rise to the witch hunts. And this is basically the basis upon which witches could be tried. I know that was a crazy... Tongue-twisting sentence, but hopefully it made (laughs) sense. Uh, Because sorcery was judged by secular courts, it was not until maleficium, this is a Latin word meaning mischief, meant to describe purposefully evil magic, was identified with heresy that theological trials for witchcraft could commence. Uh, It was accompanied by a number of developments in common Christian belief, for example, the recognition of existence of witchcraft as a form of satanic influence and its classification as a heresy.
1: Now, the witch trials emerged in the 16th century out of the practices surrounding the persecution of heresy in the medieval period, uh, though they reached their peak during the wars of religion, a.k.a. the Crusades, and on the heels of the Protestant re- reformation. Uh, the earliest known witch trials in which the accused resembled the demonic witch stereotype was in, was in the Valais witch trials of 1428, which took place in the communities of the Western Alps in, which, in what was at the time Burgundy and Savoy. Uh, the cause of eliminating the supposed satanic witches from society was taken up by a number of individuals. Claude Tho- Tholosin? Tholosin, I would say. Tholorson, there he is. I don't know why I put an R in there. Uh, Tholosin, for instance, had uh, tried over 200 people accusing them of witchcraft in Brincon Daphne in 1420. Uh, by the summer of 1428, the entire Valais was affected. Uh, On August 7th, the authorities in Luke uh, issued a formal proclamation of the necessary proceedings for a witch trial. According to the document, the public talk or slander of three or four neighbors was enough for for arrest and imprisonment, (laughs) even if the accused was a member of the nobility. Yikes. And Now, the use of torture was reserved for victims slandering by five, six, or seven or more persons, up to the number of ten who were qualified to do so and not under suspicion themselves, but also those accused by three persons who had been tried and sentenced to death for practice of sorcery.
0: So there was a shortcut to it if you wanted to go... (laughs) you can can expedite it. The ten unaccused or the three accused. Either way, you can do it. Uh, The victims were accused of murder, heresy, and sorcery being in pact with the devil. They were supposedly paying tribute to the devil who appeared as a black animal, such as a bear or a ram. The devil asked his followers to avoid holy mass and confession. Some of the accused did not confess until they died under torture. While others did confess a variety of evil deeds, such as causing lameness, blindness, madness, miscarriage, impotence, and infertility, End of killing and eating their own children. That one escalated. A... Wow, I know. <laughs> uh, one account alludes to flying witches, saying that they would apply a salve to their chairs and then ride the chairs wherever they wanted. And the witches' Sabbath, saying the witches would meet in people's cellars at night and drink their wine, and meaning to listen to anti-Christian sermons by the devil in the form of a schoolmaster with a mock confession of any good deeds they might have done. This would be the framework. For all the modern witch stuff, the flying, the mocking of, the you know, uh, Christianity, all that stuff is pretty much from this trial. Uh, before that, it didn't really exist. There is even a report of some of them being werewolves, killing livestock in the shape of a wolf, and knowing the recipe of an invisibility potion. Others confess to ruining crops, wine, and grain, and causing livestock to give no milk and plowing teams to stand still.
1: Now the trials continued for several more years, well into the 1430s. The number of victims is unknown, but ranges in the hundreds. Uh, Contrary to the later phase of European witch trials, when the majority of those accused were women, the victim in the Valais witch trials were estimated to have been two-thirds male and only one-third female. Ah, uh, yeah, it's odd. Uh, now, soon, the idea of identifying and prosecuting witches spread throughout the neighboring areas of northern Italy, Switzerland, and southern Germany. And it was at the Basel, at the that the Council of Basel assembled from 1431 to 1437. Uh, this church council, which had been attended by well-known anti-witchcraft figures, helped to standardize the stereotype of the satanic witch that would be propagated throughout the rest of the trials. Men who had been at the Council of Basel went on to spread the ideas uh, regarding uh, demonic witchcraft throughout other parts of Europe in the ensuing years.
0: And, of course, the invention of the printing press allowed for several books to be published on witchcraft, including some with some awesome titles like Johannes Neider's Formicarius in around 1435, Nicolas Jacquet's Flagellum Hericoratorium Fascinatorium, (laughs) or Fascinorium, In the 1450s, in Heinrich Kramer's Malleus Maleficarium, the Hammer of the Witches, in 1487. On December 5, 1484, Pope Innocent VIII issued the Summis Desiderantis Effectibus, a papal bull, in which he recognized the existence of witches and gave full papal approval for the Inquisition to move against witches. In this bull, which is sometimes referred to as the Witch Bull of 1484... The witches were explicitly accused of having slain infants yet in the mother's womb. We know that is abortion and hindering men from performing the sexual act and women from conceiving, and that we call that
1: contraception. We sure do. Now, prior to the main period of the witch hunts, men and women were equally accused of witchcraft, and their social status was not as important as it would become. Uh, by the time of the hunts, four out of every five victims were women, usually lower class and elderly. Uh, this is in places like England, with uh, that number being reported jumping as high as 90% in other countries. Uh, in England, King Henry VIII's Witchcraft Act of 19, I'm sorry, 1542 regulated the penalties for witchcraft, uh, which was four forfeiture of all land and property of court. Uh, the height of the European trials was between 1560 and 1630, with the large hunts first beginning in 1609. The North Berwick witch trials were the trials of in 19 I'm sorry, 1590 <laughs> uh, of a number of people from East Lothian Scotland. They ran for two years and implicated seventy people, including Francis Stewart, fifth Earl of Bothwell, on charges of high treason many confessed under torture to having met with the devil in the church at night and devoted themselves to doing evil including poisoning the king and other members of his household and attempting to sink the king's ship one of the accused agnes sampson was brought before king james and eventually confessed to all charges after being horribly tortured her head and body hair was shaven she was fastened to the wall of her cell by a witch's bridle, which is an iron instrument, with four sharp prongs forced into the mouth, wow. so the two prongs pressed against the tongue and the other two against the cheeks. Oof. Agnes was kept, she was kept without sleep, thrown with a rope around her head, and only after these ordeals did Agnes Sampson confess to the fifty-three indictments against her. Uh, she was strangled and burned as a witch thereafter.
0: Well, well justice was served. That was nice. Yes. That, that the witch- punishment fits the crime. That witch's bridle sounds a really unpleasant. That load, is, oh, uh, yeah. And considering the, uh, you know, how hygiene was back then, I have a feeling that was not a uh, sterilized implement yeah, anyway. They
1: didn't, they, they, well, they might have boiled it right before they
0: put it maybe, in. Maybe, yeah. But <laughs> they boiled it in probably, you know, laundry water or something. Yeah, oh. <laughs> uh, so the witch trials of Trier in Germany in the years 1581 to 1593 I think of how long that is Were perhaps the longest series of witch trials in European history In 1581, Johann von Schoenenberg was appointed Archbishop of the Independent Diocese of Trier He ordered the purging of three groups in society First, he rooted out the Protestant, then the Jews, and then the witches Between 1587 and 1593, 368 people were burned alive for sorcery in 22 villages. And in 1588, two villages were left with only one female inhabitant in each. Wow. People of both sexes, all ages, and all classes were victims. Among the victims, 108 were were men, women, and children of the nobility, and also people with positions in the government or the administration one of the victims was dietrich flade rector of the university and chief judge of the electoral court who was in opposition to the persecutions he doubted the use of torture and treated the accused mildly and consequently he was arrested tortured, strangled and burned himself, which made the witch trials even worse as it effectively put a stop to all opposition to the persecutions. Yikes. that was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mass executions caused the population to shrink and the executioner prospered economically, describing described as riding about on a fine horse like a nobleman of the court, dressed in silver and gold, while his wife vied with noble women in dress and luxury. Uh, the witch trials of folded in Germany in the years from 1603 to 1606 resulted in the death of about 250 people.
1: Now, the trials of the Pendle witches in 1612 are among the most famous and well-recorded witch witch trials in English history. The accused witches lived in the area around Pendle Hill in Lancashire, a county which, at the end of the 16th century, was regarded by the authorities as a wild and lawless region, an area fabled for its theft, violence, and sexual laxity, where the church was honored without much understanding of its doctrines by the common people. Uh, The people of Pendle remained largely faithful to their Roman Catholic beliefs and were quick to revert to Catholicism on Queen Mary's ascension to the throne in 1553. Uh, When Mary's Protestant half-sister Elizabeth came to the throne in 1558, Catholic priests once again had to go into hiding. But in remote areas such as Pendle, they continued to celebrate Mass in secret. In uh, 1562, Elizabeth passed a law in the form of an act against conjurations, enchantments, and witchcrafts. The act provided that anyone who... Who would, who should use, practice, or exercise any witchcraft, enchantment, charm, or sorcery whereby any person shall happen to be killed or destroyed, was guilty of a felony without benefit of clergy, and was to be put to death. Uh, on Elizabeth's death in 1603, she was succeeded by James I.
2: Yeah,
0: and by the early, and even by the early 1590s, James I had been become convinced that he was being plotted against by Scottish witches. After a visit to Denmark, he had attended the trial in the 1590 of the North Berwick witches that we mentioned earlier, who were convicted of using witchcraft to send a storm against the ship that carried James and his wife Anne back to Scotland. So now he's king, and in early 1612, in the year of the trials, every justice of the peace in Lancashire was ordered to compile a list of recusants in their area. For example, those who refused to attend the English church and to take communion, which was a criminal offense at the time. Roger Noel of Reed Hall On the edge of Pendle Forest Was the justice of the peace for Pendle In March 1612 Noel investigated a complaint made to him By the family of John Law Who claimed to have been injured by witchcraft Many of those who subsequently Became implicated as the investigation progressed Did indeed consider themselves to be witches In the sense of being village healers Who practiced magic Uh, The Pendle witches were tried in a group Charges against whom included Child murder and cannibalism Of the 11 who went to trial, 9 women and 2 men, 10 were found guilty and executed by hanging. One was found not guilty. The Würzburg witch trial, also in Germany, from 1626 to 1631, confirmed 157 men, women, and children burned at the stake. And the Bamberg witch trials, which took place 1626 to 1631, they're said to have claimed 1,000 people, which frankly seems unlikely. Uh, hmm. Many, though. Well, we can say many probably were claimed sure. by that.
1: <laughs> now, uh, Matthew Hopkins, who was born in 1620, passed August 12, 1647, was an English witch hunter who claimed to hold the office of witch finder General, <laughs> although that title was never officially bestowed by Parliament. Uh, I think I'm Witchmaster General. I, well, I,
0: <laughs> I, I want to set that up. That sounds awesome.
1: <laughs> now, he and his associates were responsible for more people being hanged for witchcraft, Than in the previous 100 years Uh, He's believed to have been Responsible for the deaths of 300 women Between the years 1644 And
0: 1646 alone Two years
1: (laughs) Now uh, Hopkins wrote a book On his methods Describing his fortuitous beginnings As a witch hunter The methods used to extract confessions And the tests he employed to test the accused uh, Stripping them naked To find witches' marks Uh, The swimming test, which is binding the accuser to a chair and throwing them into a lake uh, To see if the water rejected them as unbaptized and pricking the skin Uh, Hopkins often used techniques such as sleep deprivation to extract confessions from his victims And would also cut the arm of the accused with a blunt knife And if she did not bleed, she was said to be a witch Now, witch hunts in North America began at about the same time of Hopkins In uh, 1645, 46 years before the notorious Salem witch trials, Springfield, Massachusetts experienced America's first accusations of witchcraft when husband and wife Hugh and Mary Parsons accused each other of witchcraft.
0: (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, Uh, How many couples have you known like that, huh?
1: Yeah, he didn't take the garbage out. He's a witch. Um, Now, in America's first witch trial, Hugh was found innocent while Mary was acquitted of witchcraft because she was still, but she was still to be sentenced to be hanged as punishment for the death of her child. Uh, She would die in prison. Uh, About 80 people throughout England's Massachusetts Bay Colony were accused of practicing witchcraft. Thirteen women and two men were executed in a witch hunt that occurred throughout New England and lasted from 1645 to 1663.
0: But here in America, when we think witch trials, we think of really one big event, and that would be the Salem, Massachusetts witch trials. And this was a series of hearings and prosecutions of people accused of witchcraft in colonial Massachusetts between February 1692 and May 1693. Uh, In Salem Village in February 1692, Betty Parris, age 9, and her cousin Abigail Williams, age 11, began to have fits described as beyond the power of epileptic fits or natural disease to affect by John Hale, the minister of the nearby town of Beverly. The girls screamed, threw things around the room, uttered strange sounds, crawled under furniture, and contorted themselves into peculiar positions, according to the eyewitness account of Reverend Deodat Lawson. This was a former minister in Salem Village. Other young women in the village began to exhibit similar behaviors. When Lawson preached as a guest in Salem Village Meeting House, he was interrupted several times by outbursts of the afflicted.
1: The first three people accused and arrested for allegedly afflicting these girls were Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and... Tituba. <laughs> yep. Okay. You'll we'll, uh, we'll <laughs> find
0: out, dude. It's okay.
1: <laughs> now, at the time, a vicious rivalry was underway between the Putnam and Port of Porter families, one which uh, deeply polarized the people of Salem. Uh, citizens would have debates that often grew into full-blown fistfights over the feud. Now, Sarah Good was a homeless beggar known to seek food and shelter from neighbors. She was accused of witchcraft because of her appalling reputation. Sarah Osborne rarely attended church meetings and had remarried an indentured servant Tituba, an Indian slave, likely became the target because of her ethnic differences from most of the other villagers She was accused of attracting girls with stories of enchantment from Malleus Maleficarum Which was
0: almost certainly a book she could not have read
1: Probably not You know, she didn't Uh, know
0: English, I mean, the, the, the very idea is ridiculous, but okay
1: Yes. Now, uh, these women were brought before the local magistrates on the complaint of witchcraft. They were interrogated for several days, starting on March 1st, 1692, then sent to jail.
0: Uh, Later in March, others were accused of witchcraft, including Dorothy Good, the daughter of Sarah Good, only four years old, but not exempted from questioning by the magistrates. Her answers were construed as a confession that implicated her mother. The trials resulted in the executions of 20 people, 14 of them women, and all but one by hanging. Five others, including two infant children, died in prison. Giles Corey refused to plead, guilty or not guilty. He was sentenced to prison and subsequently arraigned at the September sitting of the court. According to the law at the time, a person who refused to plead could not be tried. So to avoid persons cheating justice, the legal remedy for refusing to plead was... Pine fort er dure, which was placing the naked person under a plank of wood and adding more and more stones to it, pressing the accused for a confession.
1: Hmm. Now, on September 17th, Sheriff George Corwin led Giles Corey to a pit in an open field beside the jail and before the court and witnesses stripped Giles of his clothing, laid him on the ground in the pit, and placed boards on his chest. Six men then lifted heavy stones, placing them one by one on his stomach and chest. Giles Corey did not cry out, let alone make a plea. After two days, Giles was was asked three times to plead innocent or guilty to witchcraft. Each time he he replied, more weight. (laughs) Uh, So more and more rocks were piled on him, and the sheriff would stand on the boulders, staring down at Corey's bulging eyes. Robert Califf, who was a witness along with other townsfolk, later said, In the pressing, Giles Corey's tongue Was pressed out of his mouth The sheriff with his cane Forced it back in, or forced it in again Uh, Now three mouthfuls Of bread and water were fed to the old man During uh, his many hours of pain Finally, Giles Corey Cried out, more weight And died He was 81 years old So
0: he actually lived quite a long life for those days But yeah, the the hours of this Really, when you really start to think about How long it takes and the nature of it—it it is truly sickening. Uh, Brutal. What I find so interesting about this, though, is—and it's something we talked about this a little bit beforehand—you kind of gloss over the trials part of this. You know, you—you you, you feel yeah. like it goes from accused to hanging. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a kangaroo court that takes about 15 seconds, but no, there's a true court case. And uh, although I'm sure many of the accused were accused for, you know, less than great reasons. Uh, There were definitely people, portions of this world that thought this was uh, carrying out justice And uh, I I found it very interesting to go through all that Oh, it's fascinating We're actually, believe it or not, Chris, we're not a witchcraft podcast We actually are a comic book podcast Hmm. So to bring that back to something a little more relevant to the Cosmic Treadmill We're going to talk really uh, kind of briefly about uh, Archie Comics and Archie in general uh, this is a subject could easily take a full podcast, but not more, but we're going to touch on some of the cultural, uh, you know, stepping stones or whatever, the sure. signposts or whatever you want to call them for Archie. So, uh, it all began when Maurice Coyne, Louis Cybercleat, and John L. Goldwater formed MLJ Magazine and started publishing in November 1939. The company name was derived from the initials of the partner's first names. No duh. Uh, Coyne served as MLG's bookkeeper and chief financial officer. CyberKleit's efforts were focused on the business, printing, separating, distribution, and financial ends of the company. And John Goldwater served as editor-in-chief. Goldwater was one of the founders of the Comics Magazine Association of America and served as its president for 25 years. And this is actually something that was important when we talked about the Comics Code. Remember, he was the head of the, of the Comics Code Authority at first because of this this presidency of the association. Yes. Uh, MLJ's first comic book published November 1939 was Blue Ribbon Comics, with the first half of the book in full color and the last half in red and white tints. It is 64-page issue included the science fiction feature Dan Hastings, crime, short humor fillers, and adventure tales such as Burke of the Briny and Cliff Thorndike's African adventure Village of Missing Men. My <laughs> <Your laughs> favorite one, Rangatang the Wonder Dog, which was a bare ripoff of Rin Tin Tin, <laughs> written by Joe Blair and primarily drawn by Ed Small. This was the only feature to appear in every issue of Blue Ribbon
1: Comics. Top-notch comics would be launched in December 1939. This was 64 64 pages of short strips featuring a mixture of science fiction stories, such as Scott Rand and the Worlds of Time, written by Otto Binder, going by Indo Binder, uh, and drawn by his brother Jack Binder. the crime story, uh, Lucky Coin Undercover Man, number one, and a true crime detective story in Manhunters by future Plastic Man creator Jack Cole, and a couple of adventure tales, including Swift of the Secret Service and The Mystic.
0: And then in January 1940, Pep Comics debuted with The Shield, the first patriotic comic book hero created by writer and managing editor Harry Shorten and designed by artist Irv Novik. This appeared 14 months before Simon and Kirby's Captain America, which was inarguably much more import- uh, successful and well-known, sure. but not, not the first. Uh, until 19, March 1944, the cover feature of Pep was The Shield, at which point Archie took over the cover. Teenaged Archibald Chick Andrews debuted with Betty Cooper and Jughead Jones in Pep Comics number 22, December 1941, in a story by writer Vic Bloom and artist Bob Montana. The Andy Hardy movies were inspiration for Goldwater to have a comic book about a relatable, normal person. Uh, the Andy Hardy movies were a series of comedic films from 1937 to 1946, Starring Mickey Rooney, that were like se- sentimental movies celebrating ordinary American life.
1: Now Archie soon became MLJ Magazine's headliner, which led to the company changing its name to Archie Comic Public Publications in uh, by 1944. Uh, Little Archie was published by Archie Comics from 1956 to 1983, lasted 180 issues. Uh, Little Archie number one is considered to be scarce by the Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide. Uh, only 20 to 100 copies exist in wow. the world. That's nuts. Uh, now it's about Archie and his buds as children. That's right. Uh, <laughs> essentially doing the same things that they do
0: while teenagers. Uh, that's right. Archie doesn't drive, but everything else pretty much is the that's same. That's about it. That. <laughs> yeah. uh, in the late 1950s, comic illustrator Dan DiCarlo, who made a name for himself drawing a 10-year run of Millie the Model for Atlas Comics, began freelancing for Archie. He had done a little work for them earlier in the decade as well. In 2001, Dan remembered I was looking for extra work. I went down to see Harry Shorten at Archie, and he gave me a job. The pay wasn't too good, but I did, and he liked it. But I didn't go back right away. Finally, after two or, two or, finally after two or three weeks, weeks go, he called me up and wanted to know what happened, why I wasn't around. I said, well, you know, I'm very busy. I had Millie the model, I had my friend Irma, and Big Boy. I told him, the people that I'm working for now let me do my own thing, but when I do work for you, it's draw like Bob Montana. And it's hard to look at your reference and then back at your own page. It's very slow and very tedious, and I didn't like it too much. He said, come on in, and you can draw it any way you like. And that made me go back with him. And Dan DiCarlo would go on to work for Archie Publications for the next five decades, and he came to define the look of every character and River in Riverdale as a whole. He passed away in 2001. And, you know, if you... Basically when you think of Archie, what does Archie and Veronica, that's Dan DiCarlo's art most likely yep. You know, it's so iconic and uh, you've seen it parodied and satirized many times where there's only one originator <laughs> of it
1: Absolutely uh, Beginning in 1959, Archie Publications began producing Archie's Madhouse Ostensibly to join the dozens of publications copying Mad Magazine Indeed, the two-word title and logo treatment were definitely meant to look similar to Mad Uh, The first 18 issues featured the, you know, Archie gang and stories that were a bit more, quote, off the wall than normal Archie (laughs) stories. Uh, The idea was to produce stories that made no sense, and it was pretty successful in that respect. (laughs) (laughs) Now, beginning with issue 19, the Archie gang was dropped, though it was still called Archie's Madhouse, and the title began featuring monsters, space stories, and other wacky short stories. For a time, it would focus on stories that were intended to be one-off characters. There were, however, exceptions to this rule. As mentioned, Sabrina the Teenage Witch came from Archie's Madhouse, issue number 22. Uh, In the late 1960s, the comic went through a major overhaul due to the impact of hippies, mods, and rock and roll on popular culture. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, The series was renamed Madhouse... Ma- ad that's m a uh, starting with issue number sixty six and would focus on Josie and the Pussycats mascots mascot Clyde did it and his wacky band of pals. Uh, this comic went through a few permutations and title changes before ceasing publication in nineteen eighty three.
0: By the Silver Age of comic books, when superheroes were on the rise again, Archie Comics dusted off their Golden Age heroes, which was S.H.I.E.L.D., The Black Hood, and Wizard, and created a couple of new ones, The Jaguar and The Fly, for a new imprint named Mighty Comics, though many call this bunch the Archie Heroes. They've been revived a few ways over the years, at one point licensed to DC Comics, and there are currently Archie Hero titles in production. And believe me, it's a real interesting story, just yeah. just the heroes by itself, but... We're really talking about the Riverdale teens right now. I just wanted to throw that out there, that, yeah, there were other things happening in the background. Uh, Josie and the Pussycats, initially published as She's Josie and then Josie. It's a teen humor comic book about a fictional rock band created by Dan DiCarlo, published by Archie Comics from 1963 until 1982. DiCarlo's wife, Josie DiCarlo, who's also Josie's namesake, Said in an interview quoted in DeCarlo obituary, we went on a Caribbean cruise, and I had a cat costume for the cruise, and that's the way it started. (laughs) Josie was introduced approximately simultaneously in Archie's Pals and Gals number 23, which was cover dated winter 1963 to 63, and then her own title, because both came out in December 62, though It's Josie had a February 1963 cover date.
1: Now, in the early 1970s, Archie Archie Enterprises Incorporated went public. Archie publications began producing Digests of reprinted material in 1973. Uh, These would find Penetration like in supermarkets and Doubtless many listeners pestered their Parents for one or more of these at the uh, Checkout stand. Sure, I did. Uh, (coughs) Of course. Uh, Because of their accessibility These digests are often named as People's first comics And they're still being published today It's apparently a very lucrative uh, Endeavor. In the early 1980s Louis Silberkleit's son Michael and John Goldwater's son Richard returned Archie comics publications to a uh, private ownership. Uh, Michael Silberkleitz s- uh, served as chairman and co-publisher while Richard Goldwater served as president and co-publisher. Uh, Coyne retired in the 1970s as CFO.
0: Now, in the 1970s and 1980s, Spire Christian Comics, a line of comic books by Fleming H. Ravel, obtained license to feature the Archie characters in several of its titles, including Archie's Sunshine, S-O-N-Shine, Archie's Roller Coaster, Archie's Family Album, and Archie's Parables. These comics used Archie and his friends to tell stories with strong Christian themes and morals, sometimes incorporating Bible scripture. In at least one instance, the regular characters meet a Christ-like figure on the beach and listen as he gently preaches Christian values. And I had one of these, uh, all about dealing with the opposite sex, titled Archie's Book. And let me tell you, Chris, it sucked. <laughs> uh, the art was even off. I, you could notice, even as a kid, I was like, something's not right here. It's, it's like dollar store. It, it was like you were me trying to like trace over Dan DiCarlo's <laughs> stuff. Uh, following Richard Goldwater's death in 2007 and Michael Silberkleit's in 2008, Silberkleit's widow Nancy and Goldwater's half brother Jonathan became co-CEOs in 2009. Nancy Silberkleit, a former elementary school art teacher, was given responsibility for Scholastic and theater projects, and John Goldwater, a former rock-pop music manager, was responsible for running the company's day-to-day publishing and entertainment efforts. The company sued Silverclite in July 2011, and Goldwater filed another lawsuit against her in January 2012, alleging she was making bad business decisions and alienating staff. She, in turn, sued him for defamation. She's famously accused of referring to male employees as penis, and told one employee, All of you penises think you can run me out. Silver Clyde allegedly dispatched a member of the Hell's Angels motorcycle gang, as well as formal as well as a former NFL player, to company headquarters in order to intimidate employees. And the way that's left is she's still a co CEO, but co CEO, but she cannot go on the company grounds. She cannot go to her own company.
1: Ain't she a peach? That's nice. Uh, now, <laughs> beginning in July 2010, the first issue of Life with Archie was launched. Uh, the series featured two different storylines exploring two possible futures. First you have a world where Archie marries Betty And then there's a world where he marries Veronica Uh, Kevin Keller, uh, Archie Comics' first gay character Debuted in Veronica number 202 That was September 2010 Uh, The issue sold out at the distributor level uh, Prompting Archie Comics for the first time To issue a second edition of a comic uh, in March 2011, a copy of Archie Comics number no. 1, which was first published in 1942, was sold at auction for $167,300, uh, a record for a non-superhero comic book. Uh, in April 2011, Archie Comics became the first mainstream comic book publisher to make its entire line available digitally on the same day as print.
0: Which I didn't know they had done first. Me either. Uh, I know DC did it later that year and Marvel did it not Mm -hmm. long after that, but Archie kicked it out first. So, by the way, in October 2013, Archie Comics launched its first horror title, Afterlife with Archie, depicting Archie and his gang dealing with a zombie apocalypse that threatens their hometown of Riverdale. In December 2014, Archie Comics announced that its flagship series, Archie, would relaunch with a new first issue in July 2015. The new series would be a modern take on the Archie characters by writer Mark Wade and artist Fiona Staples, featuring serialized storylines that continued from issue to issue, which was a new- newish thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, after three issues, Annie Wu pitched it on Art Duties. Archie Comics launched a $350,000 Kickstarter in May 2015, uh, campaigning to help the publisher get three additional series out to the public sooner than otherwise. This was Life with Kevin, focusing on Kevin Keller, and a new Jughead and Benny Veronica series. Five days later, Archie Comics canceled the campaign after critical response. And uh, the Jughead and the Betty and Veronica books did eventually come out in their... Being, mm-hmm. print, being published right now, so I would they hope, are. hope life with Kevin's coming uh, soon enough. Uh, Eventually, we we both remember obviously the Kickstarter and. Thought felt it was kind of in poor taste. Uh, a bit, you know, not a good look. You know, it's 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 one thing when you know it's uh, somebody wants to get their personal comic out to the world, but when Archie Comics, it's like I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to sell off some of your bed sheets. <laughs>
2: so, you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> uh, you might have to pump out a few more mugs to make this one happen. I'm sorry, we yeah. can't help you. But uh, yeah, I mean that's we really could have expanded that a lot more. Uh, I mean, the, the the cartoons, the cultural impact of Archie is
1: mm-hmm.
0: massive, but we just don't really have the space for that kind of thing. A television you
1: wanna... show that's going on now. That, or... I,
0: that's true. And yeah. a Sabrina Archie show was. Archie dying
1: works. a few years ago? Didn't he die? In, he uh...
0: did. Ar- Archie. Yeah. I, I believe Archie dying is what led to the reboot, you know, uh, the current, you know, uh, hmm. Mark Wade written stuff or whatever. And Ch- Chip did Arsky, did Jughead, and <laughs> I forgot who he was doing Betty and Veronica. But. It's all very great. Uh one thing I yes. gotta say I love about the new Archie comics is that every Archie comic the backup is an old Archie comic. From the forties, fifties, sixties. That is probably the coolest thing, especially from you know, our <laughs> point of view. Like the first Sabrina comic has the first appearance of Sabrina in the back. And it's just in a the cool back. Yep. it's a cool way to, to juxtapose it. Uh you know, it's it's interesting the people I talk to a lot of people that are longtime comics fans, and a lot of them say they collect Archie now because it's closer to what they like in comics than what they get. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know. I I talked to a guy, you know, I talked to a lot of guys. They love that 80s X-Men, Claremont or whatever, and and Mm then Burn. Uh, X-Men today has no resemblance to that. And and they, they look at Archie, and it's like, well... There are no mutants, but at least it's closer tonally. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, still
1: a red-haired kid. yeah. Uh,
0: at least I, I could read it. You know, like left to right. It's not like going crazy. The, the uh, layouts aren't like you know straighting my eyes. Uh, people aren't bleeding on every other page. So, uh, that's uh, that's some people's opinion, but. We really want to know your opinion about Archie, about Sabrina, about witchcraft, about anything we talked about on this episode or have ever talked about before in our natural lives. Mm-hmm. And you can do that by writing to us at <laughs> weirdcomicshistory at com. You can find us on Facebook at slash comic cosmic T mill history. We're on Twitter at cosmic T-mill, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. You can find our weekly writings, or usually weekly, at WeirdScienceDCComics.com. And Chris has daily stuff at a website he calls Chris is on InfiniteEarth.com, where he reviews a different DC comic every day of the week, including in this month. When I got to say Chris, I didn't think you were going to make it every day. I didn't either. Uh, I was like, <laughs> I, I was kind of like had my eye out there. I was like, he might slip a couple of days. And that's that's all right, <laughs> but. Uh, he did. He did not miss one day. You've been doing a lot of ones from the 21st century. I've noticed recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it could be from anything though. It Could be silver age, bronze age,
1: any every, shape form. Every which age, yes.
0: <laughs> and uh, you got to check it out every day. I love it. It's got pictures, a lot of panels. It's got pictures of ads. Uh, great commentary. Usually a little bit of funny in there, but it's not. It's not. It's not funny for the sake of being funny. And that's what I like about it. It's truly descriptive of the story. And that at first, and then it's your thoughts. Uh, yes, <laughs> and uh, so it's great. You got everyone's got to check that out.
1: Thank you. Uh, we also have our own uh, blog slash image depository at uh, co- weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, which I've actually updated each week Ooh. for the past two weeks. Well, I wonder if we can make it three. So there are there's other
0: things besides every appearance of the monitor pre crisis. Yes, but that
1: is still there.
0: Well, of course, uh, <laughs> that will be a resource for all time, folks. So. Uh, definitely go check that out but uh, I think we've given quite a power packed Halloween episode here Chris uh, and I think that's all we got for him you got anything else for him Not that'll do it well until next time folks I want you to keep it on the treadmill spookily
1: when I look out my window many sights to see and when I look in So many different people to be
2: That it's strange